This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn how to make the best of summer with Dr. Caitlin Richardson, MD. We'll find out about packaged foods, probiotics, and polyphenols with David Nelson. We'll discover garden amendments to keep your plants blooming throughout the summer with Melissa Cameron. And lastly, we'll discuss the hidden costs of aging in place with Anna Knight. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Did you know that it is now possible to diagnose Alzheimer's disease with a single MRI scan? Researchers at the Imperial College London are using machine learning technology to look at structural features within the brain, including in regions not previously associated with Alzheimer's. The advantage of the technique is its simplicity and the fact that it can identify the disease at an early stage when it can be very difficult to diagnose. Cancer cells can have thousands of DNA mutations, but it's only a handful of those that actually drive the progression of cancer. To better identify drug targets, an MIT-led team has built a new computer model that can rapidly scan the entire genome of the cancer cells and identify mutations that occur more frequently than expected, suggesting that they're driving tumor growth. What if the benefits of exercise could be reduced to a pill? Researchers at Baylor College of Medicine and Stanford School of Medicine have identified a molecule in the blood that's produced during exercise that can effectively reduce intake in obesity in mice. One day, it may be possible that older or frail people who can't exercise enough will benefit from taking a medication that can help slow down osteoporosis, heart disease, or other conditions. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Caitlin Richardson, ND, in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Dr. Caitlin Richardson is a naturopathic doctor in Milton, Ontario, with a clinical focus in sports performance and injury management. She works with athletes and high achievers who are looking to get to the next level in their sport or simply in their health. She blends her extensive education with her experience in high-performance sports to create effective evidence-based treatment plans that will have you feeling and performing your very best. Welcome back to the show, Caitlin. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me back. Always a pleasure. It's summertime. This year, sometimes it feels like it and sometimes it doesn't, but I am told it is now officially summertime. Yes, last week, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It all kind of blends into one now. I don't know. So what do you think about when you hear that it's summertime? Like what runs through your mind when you hear summertime? Yeah, so for me, summer is kind of 
family visits, hiking, outside picnics, all of that good stuff. But a little bit at the same time, it's that stress and anticipation of making sure these family events go well, getting everyone together and it goes off without a hitch. Yeah, I can tell you, I'm in no way responsible for family get-togethers in my family. I'm probably the complainer who says, what, another, another event? So... I'm maybe the wrong guy to speak to about this, but I get it. it. It can be hurting kittens is always difficult. Like my kids are older. So getting them to go to events is, is kind of like you have to dangle carrots in front of them. <laughs> Offer Netflix or video games. Something. I'm not going to say what the bribery consists of. I'm just telling you it happens. So I suppose on some level, if you want these events to go off without a hitch, that can be stressful. And yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. Know. that's kind of what I think of, but usually I can, you know, keep that under control by planning ahead making lists, lots of lists, having some backup activities planned, all of that sort of thing. It can be a lot. I mean, I suppose I don't think of summer as being stressful. I think of it sort of being like a stress outlet. But I suppose in planning for ways to de-stress, that in and of itself can be stressful. When I was practicing as a lawyer, the worst time for me, was always the few days before I was leaving on holiday, right? Because you have you have to sort of clear your plate, right? So that things don't happen when you're away. Maybe that's stressful, yeah. you know? Absolutely. That's kind of the, the worst of the worst. Or even teachers, the kind of months before they go back to school, I find they get really, really stressed as well. I hear you. So what can we do about stress? How do we manage that? Yeah. So aside from kind of you know, planning ahead and all of that stuff that I mentioned before, there are a couple supplements that that can be really helpful. So I thought I'd mention a couple adaptogens. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you and your listeners have probably heard of an adaptogen before. Basically, they're just herbs or supplements that help your body to deal with stress. Okay. They make you less sensitive to the negative impacts of high cortisol, which is our stress hormone mm-hmm. that we're pumping out when we're stressed. So I find that these herbs can be a really easy addition to your summer routine, even your winter routine. And there's a ton of research on them as well. So the two favorites that I have are rhodiola and ashwagandha. Mm-hmm. They can work really well together because one's more stimulating and kind of gives you that boost of energy. But the other one's a little bit more relaxing and can help support your sleep. Which one's the booster? So the rhodiola is the booster. Yeah. That one we've seen in so many studies that it can boost your physical and mental performance. So basically, you feel less stressed, you think more clearly, and then you're also full of energy. Mm-hmm. And then the ashwagandha is more relaxing. So this one's really good for those people, or maybe just before your vacation, where you're kind of losing sleep over, did I pack that? Did I remember to do this? It has really, really good research for anxiety and decreasing stress. Do you take those sort of in the moment, or is this something that you take sort of as a prescription? In other words, you take it regularly so that you're not having those emotions and stress and feelings. Yeah, awesome question. So these ones are more long-term. So they kind of take a couple weeks to kick in, but they really help regulate things over a longer period. If you're looking for more kind of work-in-the-moment type things, there's a couple good ones, L-theanine or lavender. So L-theanine, it's just an amino acid. It's found in tea. So if you're a tea drinker, you're going to be getting a little bit of those calming benefits every day anyway. Right. The best part about it is that it works in within about 15 minutes. So you take it and it can really help to kind of calm your mind, help you focus, help you concentrate, which can be really helpful, again, if you're one of those people that wakes up in the middle of the night and jolts awake thinking about what you have to do to plan the party or the flight or whatever. 
Right. And then the lavender, it's a little bit newer to the scene. Maybe the last 10 years, it's kind of been hyped up and gained popularity. But it has really impressive benefits for stress, anxiety, and sleep. There's actually studies where lavender outperforms some of the anxiety and sleep medications uh, that are on the market and that are commonly used. So it's pretty cool for that. The only thing that's different is it doesn't put you to sleep in the same kind of sedating way. So you don't have to worry about sleeping through important things like your alarm or if the kids or grandkids get up in the middle of the night like you would if you had a melatonin or a sleeping pill. So you can relax, but you're not down and out for eight hours. Perfect. So when I think of summer, I, I think of sort of like obviously the warmer weather. So I'm outside all the time, right? I have a dog and we, you know, I'm, I'm walking and I'm exercising all the time, which I know you advocate for. But in the summer, doing all those things in the heat has ramifications. So let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah, for sure. So the high heat is going to drain your energy a lot faster than in the cooler weather. But you can, like you said, it can lead to more serious things like heat stroke if you're not careful. So as we start to age, we actually are at more of an increased risk of dehydration. These are natural changes in our body. We have sodium and water levels that change a little bit. We actually have a reduced thirst in reflex so we feel thirst less than when we're younger and then in general our bodies just have less water stored in them so as we start to get a little bit older it's it's more important to remember to hydrate throughout the day whether you're outside traveling you know taking frequent sips of water even if you're not thirsty finding shade Um, and if it's really really hot sometimes adding electrolytes can be really helpful so water is almost always enough to keep you hydrated but if you're outside, again, family event, barbecue, and you're, you know, the football game got a little intense or you're chasing the kids around, electrolytes can really help you to absorb fluid a little bit more effectively. So things that you're looking for if you're taking an electrolyte mix would be potassium, calcium, vitamin C, vitamin B6, and magnesium. So these are all the nutrients that you'll lose in sweat. And if you lose too much, you'll end up with those nasty symptoms like cramps feeling weak or dizzy or or nauseous. So the things that are going to ruin your day, basically. And if you can replenish those, you can help to hydrate yourself and avoid these side effects. The biggest thing you want to look for, though, is just making sure it's sweetened with stevia rather than a sugar or one of the other sweeteners like sucralose that can be really harmful. Right. You don't want to undo all the good replacing your electrolytes by adding sugar because that's not necessarily beneficial. Exactly. I would add, you know, one thing to consider is if you're outside and you're, whether you're, you know, vigorously exercising or not, by the time you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. So, so if you're, if you feel thirsty, it's past the time that you should be hydrating. You should be drinking liquids with a view to not feeling thirsty. That would be my tip. Yeah, exactly. That's huge. Okay. All right. So I guess the one nice thing about You know, the summer is we get more sunshine and everybody knows that vitamin D is sort of connected to sunshine. Does that mean that we need less vitamin D during the summer if we're outside? Actually, no. So about there's about 25 percent of people that live in Canada that will remain deficient all summer long. Typically, these are people that are older or not outside as often, less of a healthy, fortified diet as well. So the other thing is sunscreen. So 
I'm a huge advocate for sunscreen. I'm not saying not to wear it. It protects us from skin cancer, wrinkles, things that are a lot worse than vitamin, not getting enough vitamin D. Right. But it prevents us from absorbing that vitamin D. Ah. So if you're diligent with your sunscreen, which you should be, <laughs> very yep. important, you're getting a lot less vitamin D than you think from the sun. Okay. And then the other thing is people, different people have different levels that they need. So people, melanin, it's kind of the substance in our skin that, gives us skin color. It changes the pigment and determines how dark or how light our skin tone will be. So people with darker skin have more melanin, mm-hmm. and melanin actually blocks our conversion of vitamin D. So it prevents us from absorbing the vitamin D through sunlight. So these people need more vitamin D from diet and supplements. The biggest thing with supplementing in the summer or any time with vitamin D is you should speak to a healthcare provider and you should get your levels tested. You shouldn't just start taking high-level doses on a whim because it's really important that you kind of get that personal level that you need to get you up to an adequate blood level. Oh, sorry, are you saying that there could be too much vitamin D? I didn't understand that that was a factor with vitamin D. I thought it was relatively benign. Yeah, absolutely. So vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, so it's stored in the fat in our body. So any fat-soluble vitamins we can overdose on because we can store too much. And if we get too much, it can vitamin D specifically will impact our calcium levels, which can be very dangerous. Okay. I didn't realize that. All right. Mm -hmm. So I used to be a runner. I don't run so much anymore, but I do do lots of activity outside, including hiking and gardening and walking the dog and, and the rest. And I find, like, I actually don't enjoy doing that necessarily in the summer because I find it's very draining. Am I alone? Do other people feel that way as well? No, lots of people feel that way. This is where, again, planning ahead can be really, really helpful. So packing like high quality snacks, even if you're just in your backyard having something prepped in the fridge like fruit and nuts or a protein bar, because often that crash you're seeing in the afternoon is more a result of not eating enough protein earlier in the day which happens a lot in the summer because we want fruit or a smoothie or, you know, something a little bit lighter. So we skip out on the protein and then we pay for that later with our energy levels. You can also do things like add MCT oil to your coffee or tea for that little bit of healthy fat. But if snacks aren't enough, then you're looking at B vitamins. So these are an awesome tool because they actually help to make energy in your body. So that way, if you're not fueling enough with your food, which you should be, that's first and foremost, but you add the B vitamins in and they'll help create energy in your body. The only thing with those is making sure you're choosing an active or activated B complex so that you, your body doesn't have to do the work to actually convert them to their active form before they can be used. Okay. So I guess the last area I want to touch upon, if, you know, if you're one of those, you know, people tend to do stuff like overdo it on the weekend, you know, kind of make up for the lost time. And that can lead to some aches and pains if they overdo it. So what's your recommendations on that front? Yeah, we never notice that we're overdoing it until the next day, unfortunately. True. The biggest thing that I recommend for this is a topical. So some sort of topical pain relief or muscle rub. So some of the ingredients you're looking for here are going to be Arnica. This one has been shown in so many studies that it's equally as effective as a topical ibuprofen which is often recommended to people with osteoarthritis for pain and inflammation. So the Arnica can not only reduce the pain, but it also can help improve your function so that you're kind of back up, moving quickly. The other ingredient that you're looking for is menthol. 
So that's the when you rub something on and you feel that cooling sensation. That's mm-hmm. coming from the menthol. And that one kind of has the same benefits as ice. So it's a little bit more convenient than holding an ice pack onto your ankle and having to sit in the same spot for 20 minutes. You can kind of put the menthol on and it's having the same benefits, but you can go about your day. And finally, I would say sweet clover is also a really good addition. It helps to kind of reduce swelling. So if you've really overdone it, and especially ankles, knees are a little bit swollen, the sweet clover can help to reduce that. And it can also kind of help relieve that feeling of heaviness in your legs, you know, at the end of a long day. Sure. Excellent. All right. So are there any recommendations generally you would have when looking for the supplements that you've mentioned? Yeah. So I always try to send people to kind of a local health food store, support local where possible. And I always try to recommend a Canadian brand if possible and if it's available. The biggest thing you really want to look for whenever you walk into any store is, does the company have high standards? Do they they run quality tests? you're really looking for an ISO certified lab to make sure that they're doing their quality control properly. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Thanks for having me back. That was Dr. Caitlin Richardson, ND. For more information about Dr. Richardson, you can visit drcaitlinrichardson.com. For great articles on health and wellness, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss packaged foods on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. David attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health, food, retail, and wellness service business owner. He's written numerous academic articles, and the most recent one being published is about the acid-alkaline balance of the foods we eat. He lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome back to the show, David. How are you? Good, Jamie. Good. Good to be back on the show. I love what you're doing with this, and I always look forward to doing these. It gets good information out to people. We always enjoy having you on the show explaining complicated concepts so that everybody gets them, because I think the more that people understand what you're talking about, the better off we are. I agree. So today we're going to tackle packaged and processed foods. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So how do you define them? 
Well, I actually, I borrow from the science. And one of the world's uh, experts, his name's Carlos Monteiro, he's a, he's a Brazilian. He's come up with a food classification system called the NOVA food classification system. And he has four groupings. So the first grouping is unprocessed food completely. And then there's minimally processed foods. So minimally processed foods would be something like you would take a tomato and you would crush it or something like that. That's considered processing. But the original food remains. Yep. Then there's the next level of processing where you might take a skin off, remove the seeds. Uh, you might change it into an ultra like thin sauce so the particle size goes down. And then the fourth classification is called ultra processed food. Mm-hmm. So there's four different classifications of it. And the ultra processed food is, is the thing that is mostly problematic. Because it's where the foods are most manipulated and there's things added. And there's a study actually out, Jamie, just uh, from Northwestern two days ago. And uh, they did this big kind of uh, survey of all the food in the United States. So I don't have Canadian data on this, but in the United States, 73% of all the food consumed in the United States is considered Category 4 ultra-processed food now. Wow. Well, you know, that makes sense. If you go shopping, right? And, and you know, right. the, the, the old saying is, you know, you, you shop around the edges of the store because that's where the, where the produce usually is and then the non-processed foods. But if you right. take a look at how many of the aisles are actually dedicated to processed foods, I bet you it comes right in at 70%. Yeah, and, and it might even be a little bit higher than that. And the thing is, I mean, yeah, it's a problem. So let's talk about processed foods and why they're problematic. And there's a study that I know you want to discuss, and I don't know how you want to get into it. Do you want to just sort of discuss the study and then we'll talk about like what we can take from it? Why don't we do that? Yeah. So Kevin Hall published a study. He's an NIH scientist, and he published a study in cell metabolism in 2019. And I'm just going to read the title of the study for your audience in case they want to look it up to verify what I'm saying. The title of the study is Ultra-Processed Food Diet Causes Excess Caloric Intake and Weight Gain an inpatient randomized controlled trial of ad libitum food intake. So let me break this down for your audience. Yep. Ad libitum means you can eat as much as you want. Right. They were inpatients, which means their diet was controlled inside the hospital where they were residents. There was two arms to the trial. One arm, they could eat ad libitum real food. So that would be category one or category two foods. The other arm of the trial, they ate ad libitum processed food, which is stuff you normally find in a hospital, right? Highly processed foods. This is what they found, and it it really shook the world of science in, in terms of nutritional analysis, weight gain, and metabolomics. The people that were eating the ultra processed food diet, on average, ate 506 calories more per day. Now, when you do the math on that, one pound of fat is generally considered to be 3,500 calories. So eating ad libitum ultra-processed food will give you an excess of 3,500 calories a week or about one pound of additional fat mass if you don't burn through those calories. Right, because it has to be stored in some capacity in the Absolutely, body. Absolutely, it has to be stored. That's right. Right. I'm going to impress you. I actually, when you, when you pose this topic, I actually went and read the study. And, oh, amazing. Well, perfect. And so what was interesting to me was, even though the subjects could eat as much as they wanted, the food that they were offered essentially had the same caloric value. 
So Thank you. that yeah. was the key, right? Because yeah. the people who put on more weight were essentially, they were eating a per calorie rate of the same food, but they found themselves eating more food. So I think right. the takeaway point, I'll leave it for you to say is... Takeaway point is, what is a calorie? Right. So, right. Why? So the question then is, if we flip it, why food is more than calories? Yeah. See, we usually break food down to be these two separate things, right? It's macronutrients. So your food has protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Yep. That's half of it. And then the other half is you got the vitamins, the minerals, and then let's say the water content and fiber. Yep. But the problem is like, that's actually not what food is. The cover of New Scientist, which is a world-regarded top-tier magazine for science, they actually showed that 99% of the food that we eat is dark matter. We actually don't know what's in the food. And this is where the new emergence of this idea of polyphenolics and these colors and pigments that are in food actually inform their information that informs the human and the animal microbiome and brain and it's the polyphenols that create more satiety, which is very interesting to me. Right. So what was happening in plain speak is the people that were eating the processed foods wanted to eat more processed foods. Correct. That's exactly it. And and like, the ones it. and the ones who were eating the whole foods were more satiated by the foods yeah. that they were eating and therefore we're not eating the extra calories. It's as simple as that, which is kind of amazing it if you think about it. As simple as that. You are absolutely right. And it speaks to the addictive quality of absolutely. processed foods. Yeah. Well, this is, thanks for saying addictive qualities of processed food. That's actually exactly what Carlos Montiero, that's his issue. Because Brazil has obesity rates that are out of control. They're out of control. And when you look at big food and big con egg, this is called in the science. So as a planetary health fellow, we talk about the commercial determinants of health. What are the commercial interests here? Are they to nutrify people or is it to profit? And this is the problem. And we need to address it as a society about how we want our food supply made available to us and how. How much processing are we willing to tolerate? Well, you know, you can frame it that way. Unfortunately, there's other ways of framing it, though, right? It's it's also what we need, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, like we need to feed everybody too, right? Because there's lots yeah, of people yeah. going hungry and, You're right. and, you know, getting the food to the, and then there's food costs, right? Like if you go to the store and you were going to mm -hmm. put together your dinner and, you yeah. know, I, you know, if you're sophisticated, if you can cook and you have the time and the resources, you can make delicious food from the raw yeah. foods that aren't processed. Right. But what if you don't have time? Or what yeah. if you're on a budget? I think that's the problem, isn't it? You're, you, you know what, Jamie? This is another thing that you're just hitting bang on on the things that we're talking about. So what you're talking about is what is the social equality about the availability of the food supply? Because right. you're right. It is cheaper to buy 1,000 calories of ultra-processed food than it is to buy 1,000 calories of real food. The problem is subsidization, and the historical use of some of these things. You're absolutely right. right about this. So when you look at food deserts, that's something that your audience can look up, where there's no grocery stores. And I'm going to bring up, unfortunately, a bad memory, which is the buffalo shooting at the Topps grocery store. Yep. Most people don't know the other story there. That community waited for 10 years for a grocery store in their 
community. Yep. So your point is very duly noted. You're right on on that. You can see it. You know, even like it's really fascinating. Like I do this little exercise when I go shopping because I pick where I shop by the quality of the produce. Right. As opposed to the quality of the the staples and the other things that I get. Yeah. But I always look at what people are putting on the conveyor belt when they go to pay. And it's always shocking to me. And you have to understand a little bit about my history. For a long time, I was morbidly obese. I used to weigh 242 pounds. I, and, wow, okay. And so for me, it really hits home when I see people, you know, and they have the cookies and they have you know, the frozen dinners and they have, you know, all those things. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't want to be judgmental because Mm -hmm. I know how long it takes me. I have the luxury of being able to make dinner and I'm a good cook. Right. But you know how hard it would be if you were working long hours and then tried to be, had to provide nutritious food for your family. I like, I don't know the conundrum. Like I, like I don't know, I don't know the solution. You're right. And in terms of socioeconomic status, again, and housing markets and everything else, this is a planetary health problem. What you're saying is exactly right. When you make healthy food, it requires going to the grocery store and acquiring the food in the first place, bringing it back in your house and storing it in a place that it's reasonably able to be stored. Right. Then you have to pull it out. You have to actually make it yourself. That doesn't take five minutes in the microwave, Jamie, as your point is duly noted again. That takes 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. And this is why I think that you see the rise of some of these boxed food meal preparation kits like yeah. uh, Chef's Plate or Good Food or these other ones, Hello Fresh is that you get all that healthy food, but it does come at a cost. And there are a lot of families that actually aren't able to pay for that, for one, and they don't have the time to process it. One last thing I'm going to say really quickly. Luckily, we have a champion on this in Canada. His name is Jean-Claude Mubarak, and he's at the University of Montreal. He studied under Carlos Monteiro in Brazil, and he is bringing this message fast, hard, and clear to the Canadian government at scale so that we can figure out a way, how can we get real food into people's hands? I personally think it's an issue of national security. I think the people's health is very important in clear minds, and emotional diversity goes along with food, too, and that's called nutritional psychiatry, but that's probably another another uh, show for us. Well, let's talk about that next time you're on. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Jamie. Thank you for having me again, and keep doing good work, my friend. That was David Nelson. For more discussions and articles about health and wellness, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education design company. Uh, She's been featured on websites such as Farmer's Footprint, Florida, and Toronto Life, 
and is a regular garden contributor for Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she is the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information about Melissa, you can always visit thegoodseedgarden.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. And you're also famous now because uh, as of the time of this interview, the July-August issue of the magazine is out and you are on the cover. Thank you so much for participating. It was a ton of fun. You have a great team there. Thank you. I do. I love my team. Let's talk about garden amendments, okay? Which is different yeah. than constitutional amendments, which is more up my alley for when I was practicing law. So there's no legislature involved. There's no votes. And we don't have to get Quebec on side. What is a garden amendment and why should we do it? Yeah, great question. So feeding your soil as your garden grows is a really great way to ensure that your plants are going to continue to remain healthy and grow vigorously. A garden amendment is really an addition that we're bringing into the soil to feed it. So being conscious of feeding our soil rather than feeding our plants means that, you know, we're really investing in that soil food web, the biology of the soil, and we're giving to the soil, which in turn is going to give to our plants so that we get some really awesome, healthy plants. Okay, so you know I have raised gardens, and, you know, in Toronto, there's a lot of people that are working with gardens that are in sort of containers. Is Is there a distinction between container gardens and ground gardens with respect to these amendments? Yes, I'm so glad you asked this because I know that there are tons of people who are gardening on terraces and on balconies and they're using containers. And they're super particular, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're not open to the soil below. And so the plants cannot benefit from nutrients in a large mass of soil or, you know, from the relationships that plants create with other plants through the mycorrhizal network. So containers need to be amended every three weeks or so using something very well-balanced like worm casting, seaweed, or kelp meal, or a fish emulsion. Okay, that's good to know. Are there plenty of yeah, no, of course. Well, I can I can always play this back, right? Like, you know, so, so yes, I am. Which plants tend to benefit more from the amendments? Is it everybody across the board or are there some that do better with these amendments? Yes, of course, truly all of them. But the thing about plants is they're actually pretty good communicators. So you need to also participate in that conversation and notice if, you know, some plants versus others are requiring some extra TLC. Mm-hmm. So in the vegetable garden, for, insurance, for instance, a nutrient deficiency might present itself like a discoloration in leaves. Mm-hmm. And that's a good indicator that you should feed your soil. You'll also want to take note that particular plants sort of have some special care needs. So I'm thinking of blueberries, for instance. And good blueberry amendments aren't really fertilizers, but earth-friendly sulfur. And that lowers the soil pH, which then in turn allows the blueberry plant to draw up the nutrients it needs. Okay, so, so that explains why yeah. my, my, my blueberry is not doing as well as I thought. I transplanted it because I thought it was a light issue, but mm-hmm. I did not realize it was a soil issue. See, I'm, is. learning, I'm learning things every time you come on the show. I love it. I can send you a recommendation for a blueberry-specific amendment. You should absolutely do that. Thank you. I appreciate it. So what's the difference between amending and fertilizing? Is it, it sounds to me like they're pretty close if they're not the same thing. They are. That's a really good question. So I'm going to give you some quick and dirty info because when we go to the garden center, we see these ratios put up on products, right? Yep. 
like number dash number dash number. Right. And that's the NPK ratio, which represents nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So let's overly simplify it because we only have a few minutes. Yep. Nitrogen produces leafy greens. Potassium is for root formation, and phosphorus helps produce fruits and flowers. So we want to provide these nutrients for our plants, and this is done via fertilizing. So we're talking about plant-specific here. Mm -hmm. So then if you're fertilizing, I would suggest in general that you use something that has a fairly equal NPK source if you're just looking for overall health. Mm -hmm. So fish emulsions, humic acids, worm castings are all more regenerative to do this than a synthetic product. Okay. Amending is the process of feeding the soil with naturally occurring substances like manure and organically uh, derived products. And so, you know, that's sort of the way to go Okay. if you're working on the soil. Are there any no-nos? Like, are there anything you would recommend not putting into the garden in terms of fertilizing or amending? Yeah, I mean, I really stay away from something that you look at it, you don't recognize any of the ingredients. They're all long chemical names. I think you can do better than that. I think something like a worm casting, a fish emulsion, a seaweed meal, insect frass, all of those things are found in nature and we put them back in the soil. It really helps. Yeah. On your recommendation, I put the worm castings in. I mixed it in with the soil in the spring to get things going. And I have noticed that my gardens seem to be doing quite well this year. So you've convinced me. Now we have to convince everybody else. So so I know that I admitted to you on a a previous show that I have been known to save coffee grounds and eggshells and thought I was doing God's work by putting them in the garden. But was I? No. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, is it going to harm your garden? Well, maybe if you put something tasty in there that a rodent comes and digs up. Yeah. But if you do want to take your kitchen scraps and add them to the garden, let's do that via composting. Okay. Okay? So yeah. indoor composting, if you're in a small space, like a condo, something like that, worm casting can be created with worm bins. Those are odorless, indoor, great. If you've got a bigger space like yours, Jamie, you know, doing an outdoor compost is a great way to create your own soil amendments. We have lots of critters in our neighborhood, right? Like, so there's rabbits and there are raccoons and now coyotes. So are there any concerns with having sort of a compost back there? Because my understanding is they do attract the bigger critters. Yeah, I mean, super important is, you know, we love the diversity that's happening, the biodiversity, but we also don't want our yards torn up. Yeah. I am no way affiliated with them, but I do recommend for my clients, and I really love a brand of composters called Jora, J-O-R-A. Yep. And they're a Canadian company based out of Quebec, and they do dual-chamber raised composters that do a great job of composting quickly. They work well in our colder climate, and they're critter-proof. Do they need to be in the sun, Melissa, or are they okay in the shade? little bit of sun i think it helps speed up the process these ones are very well constructed and very well insulated so the sun is going to matter more when the leaves are not on the trees so i think you can get away with some partial shade no problem okay and i know i know you've told me i'm wrong but i have to go back to it it's just the lawyer in me so you're saying even the eggshells alone if you grind them up aren't good because they they seem to be working for my tomatoes is that just just, was that just like a happenstance or like effect is wild, right? (laughs) (laughs) So 
the thing is that the the nutrients are still pretty locked in, even okay. when you ground them up. I would really prefer, you know, I, soil is generally not super calcium deficient. And tomatoes, I know a lot of people think eggshells prevent something called blossom end rot, which yep. is where the bottom of the fruit goes mushy. Yep. Truthfully, if you want to prevent blossom end rot, water more deeply. It's really about consistent water uptake to release the calcium that's already present in the soil. Got it. So go for deep, deep, consistent watering, especially if you're growing in containers that get hot and bake in the sun. And, you know, I think that's the way to go. I know the lawyer and he wants to put those eggshells in there. Can't you, there's some saying, can't take the lawyer out of me, whatever. Last time for last question. Moving on, you've convinced me. What if we don't have time to amend the soil? Is there anything we can do? Yes, there is. So if you can't amend your soil, I want you to protect your soil. And to protect your soil, I want you to mulch it. So that means laying a cover of organic material over the surface of the soil to seal in the nutrients that are there and to prevent them from eroding, you know, in the air, from water, compaction, all of those great things. So a little mulch goes a long way. So it doesn't leach out then, right? Is that what you're saying? Like if it's covered, it's okay to disperse in the soil, it's still getting the benefits? Does that make sense? So I'm saying that if you leave your soil bare, the chance of uh, erosion happening from that soil and compaction and all these things that sort of compromise your soil health it's just as greater rather than if you mulch it, you're really protecting that soil and you're going to have a more successful, less needy, better water retention, better nutrient delivery. Okay. There you go. You could not have been clear. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great day. That was Melissa Cameron. To learn more about Melissa, please visit thegoodseedgarden.com and to read Melissa's cover story in the July-August issue of The Tonic, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Anna Knight is the founder of Simplicity Financial, a boutique personal finance firm focusing on severance and pension management. She has more than 20 years of experience uh, with the goal of empowering Canadians to take charge of and have pride in their finances. 
She's a contributor to the Globe and Mail and Money Sense Magazine, and she's the author of The Million Dollar Difference, a user-friendly guide to retirement planning at any age. Welcome to the show, Anna. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you for the amazing welcome and a great intro. Wow. I'm getting a gold star right up front. Excellent. (laughs) So I can tell you, I'm in my 50s, and I've been thinking about how I want to retire and what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And one of the things that I feel really strongly about is that I want to age in place, whether it's in the home that I'm in right now, or perhaps like a little bungalow, if they still exist in the GTA, that's how I want to live out my years. But you're here to tell us there are some hidden costs involved with that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And I think, Jamie, first of all, it's great that you're starting to think about it in your 50s. I think the sooner you can start thinking about it, the better, the more you can kind of explore the options and figure out what planning you need to have in place or financial resources you have to have in place. So I think it's, you know, number one, kudos to you to start it earlier. And, you know, some of the costs that I think we forget simply is, okay, as we're getting a little bit older, do we really want to, if we're going to stay in the home we're at, do we really want to maintain that home? Do we, you yeah. know, what are the costs, right? Like you're cutting grass or the simple things, right? As you're getting older, do you want to keep on doing that? So if you don't, what are the costs with that? You know, later on, unfortunately, as our health perhaps declines a little bit, can I bring somebody in to help me? Simple things like grocery shopping, cooking. Later, if, you know, if your health declines even farther, you might even have to have somebody come in helping you with bathing and some, some of the simple things. So these are, I think, all the costs, and it's usually stages. These are all the costs that we should think through and really do a little bit of research around what are those costs today and try to get at least a sense of what we think they're going to be like this for yourself in your 50s. Some of these costs might not be a factor for another 20 years. So, like, am I alone? Or are there more no. are more Canadians thinking about aging in place? Absolutely. You know, with, within my practice, I would say because, you know, severance and retirement is a bulk of what I do, I would say 90% or even more of my clients ideally would like to stay in their current homes. And I think it's a factor of almost like an emotional attachment. This is my home. This is where I raise my family. I'm comfortable. Don't move me. And I, and I get that. Even being a little bit younger, I get that. You know, if I can stay in the comfort of my own home, why not, you know, accomplish that essentially? So based on your experience... When it comes to sort of making the home habitable as we age and doing the retrofitting that might be necessary, where do you think Canadians should be spending their money and where do you think they should be saving it? Yeah, Sometimes it's a more of a realtor question, but, yeah. but I do get asked that question quite often. And I think it goes back to the simple things. When we talk to a realtor, they will say kitchens and bathrooms is where you get your return on your money. So when we're thinking of retrofitting our house for getting a little bit older, you know, if we need to do that kitchen renovation, maybe we want to wider the spaces or so we can move around if we do down the road have to get a walker or a wheelchair in there. And I think if we think from a perspective of what am I doing to my home and can it be viewed by another family as a value added, we can look at it, okay, here, here is where we can spend a little bit of extra money. So maybe that kitchen or maybe adding a main floor bathroom could be another great addition to your home, right? Later in life, if you're talking about installing sort of rails for wheelchairs up the stairs, um, you know, that might not be a huge value added, but you have to look at it from a comfort and, and sort of safety perspective. But, I, you know, to answer your initial question, I think if we're looking at, you know, cost of retrofitting, it's definitely 
if anything, spending more money on the basics of the kitchens and the bathrooms. That would be where I was probably focused on the most. I was thinking about like what the limitations would be as I get older, right? And and a lot of the smaller housing stock, right? If I wanted a single family dwelling is vertical in Toronto, right? It's three stories, but that doesn't lend itself to somebody who's getting older. The more You don't want more stairs, you want less stairs. Like yeah. my, my initial comment was, I think I want to go for a bungalow. I can tell you right now, I've solved the grass problem because I've pulled out all the grass. I have mulch, so I don't have to mow the lawn. <laughs> and I don't want to be mowing the lawn as I get older. So, yeah. I mean, like, I think you kind of have to think about the way you want to live. I was thinking, like, do you pay any attention to location? Because I was thinking I'd want to be in a neighborhood where I could walk very quickly and close to pick up, you know, the necessities like food and drugs and have a bank that's close by. Like, do those things factor in in your matrix? Absolutely. Because you want to be, you know, as you're getting a little bit older, I think most of us in in the space of we've worked hard, we want to be comfortable. I think number one, we want to have the lifestyle. And again, it comes down to thinking it through just like you're doing. You know, what do I actually want? What are some of the things that are important to me in my 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, right? Yeah. Oftentimes, that change brings in a certain level of anxiety. So if you're set or comfortable in a specific neighborhood, irrelevant of your home, are you going to be comfortable moving to the suburbs? To your point, yes, in Toronto, it's a lot of stairs. So if you're looking at, you know, a one-level dwelling, um, then are you looking at a condominium and is that going to be comfortable? Or are you then looking to change neighborhoods and is that going to be okay with you or is there a lot of anxiety you might have family around so i think there is it's a multi-dimensional conversation but i think hospitals and i think that's you know a lot of the times where canadians want to either stay in 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 canada from health perspective you know they want to make sure they've got access to their doctors to hospitals you know and then if you're uh, i have a client of mine who's like her big retirement thing she wants to be able to go out for dinners often so yeah to your point she wants to be close where she can walk from her retirement home or wherever that is. She wants to be able to go for dinner, sit on a patio, go chat with a friend on, you know, have a cup of coffee in another cafe. So that lends itself to more of that downtown living or somewhere in a city where you have a little bit of a downtown core, even if it's a small city outside of the GTA area necessarily. Okay, so let's talk about living in, in home versus other options like planned communities or long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. So how do you sort of assess the different options in that respect? Again, I think it goes back to resources, family support, and really understanding what your lifestyle looks like. And obviously health factors in that as well. But I think, you know, when we're talking about staying in your home, we already talked about some of those additional expenses. So then if your home, so again, goes back to my financial resources. If my home is my only retirement asset, how can I tap into that equity or how can I tap into that pot of money that I, you know, saved essentially to retrofit my house or potentially allow me to bring that support in to facilitate that? Alternatively, and then, you know, from a financial perspective, is that doable? Alternatively, if that's not an option from a financial perspective or that's not the lifestyle you want, you know, the retirement communities are a great option, but then you still have some additional expenses. You might still have to bring someone else to help you with some of the, you know, stuff around the house, but you might not have to, you know, cut your grass or shovel the driveway. So you're taking away some responsibilities, but chances are you have to factor in some of the costs. And then, you know, later on might be kind of a, 
long-term facility or a nursing home, there you don't have to worry about anything, but then the expense of that is a lot higher. You know, if you want meals catered or if you need that extra help. And what I'm finding, Jamie, is oftentimes it's more thinking about it as a potentially a process, right? As your health is unfortunately a lot, in a lot of cases declining, is uh, thinking about it, okay, my first 20 years of, our, of my retirement, I might be able to you know, either stay in, in my home or buy myself that bungalow and I'm good there. What happens if my health declines? What are some of the options there? And another factor to consider is, do I have family that's willing to help me or do I have friends that I can rely on a little bit? So it's never honestly, and as much as I love to talk about it as a professional, let me tell you, it's not an easy discussion to have, even with my own parents. You know, you start talking about it and a lot of emotional things come up as well. So again, going back to my original point, I'm glad you're thinking through it in your 50s, to be honest. Okay, good. Now, I'm thinking about it, but I may not be thinking about what I should be thinking about. I only have my own subjective context. I know what's in my head, but yeah. you're, you're the expert here. What are some of the questions that one should be asking themselves if they're thinking about living in place? What are some of the considerations? I think the first one is costs, right? So what are the costs that you're foreseeing? And I always, whenever I'm doing sort of projections for retirement, I always caveat with, if you have a home, especially if it's a single home dwelling, you need to factor in that you need to have a budget every year for the stuff that goes wrong with the house as the house ages as well. Never mind you, right? The windows, the roof, the driveway. So do you have resources to facilitate that? Then, okay, we got that covered. So that's part of the plan. Now we have to think about, okay, as you're getting older, you might want to stay in your home. Now we have to get someone to cut your grass shovel the driveway, maybe bring groceries in, how much that costs? So we have to allot a certain amount of money. So I think first and foremost, thinking through it and then being realistic with the costs associated with it and then going back and saying, okay, what are my resources financially that are going to help me with this? Or if I don't have the resources, what are some of the options? So selling, downsizing selling and renting, using the capital to facilitate some of this. I think, you know, really thinking through it, to be honest, as early as possible. I can't stress that enough. And then engaging, to your point, engaging with somebody that does it for a living, because I think what a big part of my job is helping clients or helping individuals even like yourself, looking at it from a non-emotional perspective, more of a logical and numbers perspective. And then together, marrying the two, the emotions, and then the logic, and then being able to make better educated decisions. That sounds like an excellent plan. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Caitlin Richardson, ND, David Nelson, Melissa Cameron, and Stacey Irvine. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.